This is the spot where God ruined my life. This is the location where I made the change from living saved to living called. And yeah, there is a difference between those two things. And I learned that right here in this location. So it was October of 2009. I was a senior in college at the University of Colorado, right down there. I had been having a horrible day because I asked a girl on a date and she said no. And my best friend, Ethan, who was also my roommate at the time, also that very same day asked a girl on a date and he also got rejected. And so I was sitting on the couch in the living room when Ethan came home. I was in a bad mood. He walks through the front door, slams the door, clearly also frustrated. And I said, what's up, man? Did you get rejected too? Awesome. Great. Welcome to the party. Let's go for a drive. We were feeling emotional. So where do you drive when you're feeling emotional? To the closest mountain range. And lucky for us, the closest mountain range was right in our backyard. And so we got in his 1999 Ford Explorer and we drove up this road. And for whatever reason, we pulled off to the side of the road right here. We put on some worship music, we climbed onto the roof of his car, and for the next three hours, we had the most life-altering conversation of my entire life. So up to that point, I had been saved for about a year and kind of, sort of, following Jesus for about a year. But for Ethan and myself, we both started reading the Bible around the same time, and we read a story in Acts chapter 4 where the apostles said, um, as for us, guys, we just, we can't help it anymore. We can't help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. We've seen too much to go back. In other words, God has ruined us for our faith and we couldn't go back or forget this even if we wanted to. And the only way from this point on is forward because this mission is real. So there's an aviation phrase called the point of no return and it's the point in the journey where you no longer have enough fuel to go back and the only way is forward. And so for me, I just realized, man, this isn't, this isn't a game. This is real. We stand on the brink of eternity at every single moment and this planet is full of human beings and both God and the enemy are both after their souls. And Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth and tell as many people you can about the good news of the gospel. And man, from that night on, it's like we couldn't go back anymore. God ruined us for our faith and we, we came up with this crazy idea. We started dreaming out loud and we said, how about after we graduate college, we put all of our other plans on hold and we take one year out of our lives and we just take Jesus at his word. He said, go to the ends of the earth and tell people about him. And so what if we just took one year and we just traveled to all the ends of the earth and told as many people as possible about this gospel and this amazing grace. And we got back down to our house we parked in the driveway and we shook hands in the driveway and we looked each other in the eye and said we are committing to do this we don't know what's beyond it but we know what we're doing the year after we graduate we're going to be missionaries for a year and we're going to tell people about Jesus and we both kept each other accountable and we did it we traveled the world for a year and we told a lot of people about the the grace of this amazing God and we made a film about it and and that sort of set a trajectory for us where every decision I've made from that point on I've basically made it as a ruined Christian 
And so that's the challenge I have for you is to pray a very dangerous prayer. And I know I made that sound really risky. And to be honest with you, it is risky. But I promise you, you will get to the end of your life and look back and you will be so grateful for all the dangerous prayers that you prayed. And my prayer for you essentially is this, God, ruin me from my faith. Would you get me to a place of no return where I just can't help it anymore, where I have to go and I have to to follow you, Jesus, and I can't help but speaking about all these things I've experienced and this God that I know is real. Would you ruin me for my faith? And you don't have to cross an ocean to do that. You can cross the street to do that. But regardless... It's time to live not just saved, it's time to live called. God's placed you in your sphere as a light to a dark world, essentially to to invite people to come home and experience what you have found also. And when you start to live that way, nothing about your life or your faith will ever be boring from this point on. If you feel bored or stuck in your faith, I promise you it's because you don't understand what it means to be ruined for this thing. And so maybe you don't need the next new Christian book to get out of that funk. And maybe you don't need the next Christian conference. Here's my question for you. Have you tried the Great Commission recently? Because I promise you, nothing is going to make you feel passionate and alive and live fully awake. Like telling somebody else about this Jesus who has saved your life. This is the point of no return. And the time is now. Jesus, ruin us for our faith. Come on, Red Rocks Austin, how we doing? Are you guys excited for church today? Happy fall. It's 85 degrees out now, which means in Austin, Texas, it is officially hoodie season. Congratulations, you did it, you made it. Maybe more appropriate, it's football season now. Amen. So we'll get you out of here as on time as possible, because I know we got group launch and some kickoffs about to happen. So let's just do this. In the name of unity, just turn to somebody around you and give them your Super Bowl prediction. And by Super Bowl prediction, I mean predict what team the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are gonna beat in the Super Bowl this year. And, and then you may take a seat, okay? And I'm not speaking from my heart. I'm just being smart. And if you're smart, you won't get your hopes up for anything else. <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, that song is a throwback to the season of my life where I realized God was calling me for the very first time. Those lyrics, an invitation from God that are so stuck into my soul to come away with me. It's not too late. It's never too late for you. Come away with me because it's gonna be wild, it's gonna be great, and it's gonna be full of me. And if you're daring enough, all you have to do is open up your heart and let him in. Because the truth is, you too have a calling on your life. The only question is, have you realized it or not? Because I've heard it said the two most significant days in your life are the day that you were born and then the day you find out why. That moment you receive a revelation from heaven that I am made on purpose for a purpose, that there is a God who knows me and sees me and has saved me and is calling me and is writing me into a bigger and grander story than I ever dared imagine and I pray much like that day on the mountain was mine that today would be yours for a lot of people in this room I want to read you a story 
one of my favorite stories in Acts chapter four. If you haven't read your Bible in a while, we're about to read about half a chapter, so just feel better about yourself generally because you're about to get a lot of Bible in right now. Acts four, starting in verse one. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's only taking the men into account. So when you include women and children, that is 12 to 15,000 people who just gave their lives to Jesus. I mean, this church is is growing fast. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. This is a who's who of all the Pharisees. So was Caiaphas and John, Alexander, and the others in the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power and by what name did you do this? This refers to a miracle, a healing that just took place in Acts chapter 3. But Peter... John had a big heart, Peter had a big mouth. But now Peter with his big mouth is full of the Holy Spirit. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. By the way, if you hate confrontation, you're about to get some clammy hands. I mean, tight booty on the edge of, your edge, of your, edge of your seat right now, just panicking, okay? Because this is as awkward as it gets. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you killed, that you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders have rejected which has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in nobody else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the only God. And once you realize that, nothing else matters. And you're seeing that now in Peter and John. When the Sanhedrin, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, I love that. They were astonished. They took note, these men have been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, here's your evidence, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we gonna do about these men, they asked. Everybody listening, living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we just can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anybody in this name. Then they called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And then here's one of my favorite all-time verses in scripture. As for us, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Amen. I wanna use that story to explain the title of my talk, which is this, God ruined my life. God ruined my life. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are welcomed and wanted in this room. 
God, we give you permission right now to go straight to the most hidden places and spaces of our hearts and souls where we need you the most. I pray you would download fresh revelation as to just how much we are called. I pray boldly that you would ruin lives in the best way at church today. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I got upgraded to first class a few weeks ago on a flight. I just thought you should know. And uh, just to clarify, didn't purchase the first class ticket. It was a free upgrade, a free upgrade, okay? Some of you are like, I wouldn't care if you did purchase it. Why are you saying this to us? Well, there are some in the greater Christian community with strong opinions about pastors and what they can and cannot spend their money on, (coughs) sneakers and stuff like that. And oh, I'm stirring the pot right now. If you haven't noticed, I am rocking my Kohl's special $75 Nike Air Monarchs, the ultimate dad shoe, okay? Say something. Say something. I'll say something. First class is awesome. (laughs) That's what I just found out. And the experience, man, the experience begins right at the gate when they start boarding. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we would love to begin our boarding process for our premier and elite Star Alliance first class business class members. If you make your way to the gate at this time, Mr. Weckenman, how are you? Thank you so much for flying United today. Anything we can do to make your 30-foot walk from here to your sky throne a little bit more enjoyable, please let us know. A shoulder massage, a hot towel, a piggyback ride, perhaps. You'll be pleased to know our our first-class seats are the same massage chairs you'll find in the Sky Mall catalog in the seat compartment in front of you. And could I just see your ticket to help you find your seat? Do you know what seat you're in? Oh, you know what? There's actually, there's no need. I have it memorized. It's 1A. (laughs) But thank you. And you guys, I got to sit down in my pre-reclined chase lounge and give everybody walking past me the look and you know the look that i'm talking about i've received this look before the look that says yeah you keep walking don't even look at me you keep walking back to that economy section i didn't really do this good luck finding some overhead compartment space for that oversized carry-on you clearly should have checked can we shut this curtain please shut the curtain I'd love something cool and refreshing in one of your finest goblets and a filet mignon, medium rare, please. That's when the flight attendant just gives you that look like, calm down, buddy. All right, there's no meals on 90-minute flights. And second, I see your basketball shorts and your beanie and your Nike Monarchs. You didn't purchase this ticket. You're a free upgrade. Calm down and know your place. I got all of this just from a look. But that's where as a pastor, I just flip it and use it to evangelize. You know, speaking of free upgrades, can I talk to you about salvation? How would you like to be upgraded to heaven forever by the free grace of Jesus who knew no sin and became sin so you could have first class for eternity? This didn't really happen. But it might next time, and in Jesus' name, there will be a next time. You know, this is really the ultimate experience. This is first class international on Emirates Airlines. Do we have this picture, you guys? This is, there it is. Have you, I mean, look at that. That is a studio apartment in the sky, okay? Shaq don't know what to do with that kind of leg room. You know what I mean? That is unlimited meals and movies and drinks if you're into that thing. And can you just imagine with me for a second going on an international flight and sleeping through the night? And then you, you wake up because you hear the, you feel it land and you're in your, your, your de- you're at your destination and you're relaxed and rejuvenated and revived and ready to go with no jet lag. Can you, 
Can you imagine that? Because I can't even begin to scratch the surface of fathoming what that would feel like. I probably, to be honest with you, if I, if I was there, I'd be so happy and excited about my life, I'd probably get less sleep in my first class bed than I would back in C-183H. You know what I'm talking about? I'd just be like covers pulled up, just so giddy and excited. I don't want to miss this. Oh my gosh. I don't want to close my eyes, right? I don't want to fall asleep because I missed this first class experience. And I don't want to miss a thing because even when I dream, I swear I'm done. I just wanted you to know I can hit the high notes, okay? Some of you are looking at me like, is that, is that Steven Tyler? <laughs> nope. Just your friendly neighborhood pastor, ma'am. Just trying to make a difference. You guys love these jokes. <laughs> Don't distract me. Because I'm on the clock and I'm long-winded to begin with. And I will just... There are about a million... <laughs> There's about a million upsides to that experience right there. There is also, however, one downside. And the downside is this. It would forever ruin you for flying. For the rest of your life, you'd never be able to go back. And I guess that's what I mean when I say God has ruined my life and I can't go back. I have heard too much good news. You know what I mean? I've experienced too much of his, of the heights and depths of his agape, unconditional love. I have, I have seen too much of his grace and goodness and I can't go back. I can't regardless of what comes my way. Man, I can't walk away. I couldn't if I tried, if I wanted to. I am forever ruined for the gospel of Jesus. That much like what Peter and John said in Acts 4.20, I just, I can't help it anymore. I can't go back even if I wanted. I can't help but speaking about what I have seen and heard. And that right there, church, is the difference between, between living saved and living called. And that happened for me during a conversation with Ethan on Flagstaff Mountain in Boulder, Colorado in 2009 when I realized simply what had always been true. That God loves me, he's real, he loves me. Jesus has saved me and I'm called to spend the rest of my life living like I know it's true. And not just for one year long mission trip, but a new way of, of living my life, right? Because whether you cross an ocean or you cross the street and whether you're a pastor or a pilot or a parent or a politician or a pediatrician or a professional pickleball player, you are called to preach the message of Jesus with how you live your life. This is the whole point of Colossians 3.17 that says in whatever you do, Whatever your job is, whatever, whatever your purpose or calling is, whatever sphere God has placed you in, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, you can call that going into the deep end, going all in for your faith. You can call that selling out to this thing, or you can call that Jesus has ruined me for the gospel. Call it whatever you want. I'm just praying that you say yes to this invitation of come away with me. I've got so much more in store for you and me. It's not too late for you. For you, It's going to be wild. It's going to be great and it's going to be full of me because what I know is what our world needs more than anything is alive and awake Christians who are daring enough to pray that prayer. God, ruin my life.
Whatever that means for you, God, ruin my life. Oh, in the best way possible. I wanna give you three ways God ruined my life. How many want four? We'll see. Two hours from now, how I'm feeling at the end of the sermon, we'll see. This is your first time you're panicking right now. What? Two hours. Fear not, friend. We believe church should be enjoyed and not endured. Welcome to Red Rocks. <laughs> Three ways God ruined my life. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, come on. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, let's go. Number one, God ruined my excuses. There it is. Oh, she felt that. God ruined my excuses. Oh, he wants to ruin all the reasons you believe he cannot use you. You better believe Peter and John had their reasons. Can I remind you again of verse 13? When the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John and realized these guys are unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note these men have been with Jesus. So what was their excuse? Unschooled and ordinary. I wonder if you ever feel your version of that, unqualified. Oh God, why would you ever use me? I'm not nearly as qualified as the people around me. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not pretty enough or prepared enough. You wanna hear mine between you and me? I'm not old enough or experienced enough to lead this church. Oh, I feel that every single week. Don't get me wrong. I believe God can do it. I just don't always believe he can use me to do it. Like my, my faith in God ain't the problem. It's my fear of my own inadequacy and in that I'm not enough. I wonder if you can relate to that in any way, shape, or form. What is your excuse? Maybe your excuse is, is your past, right? I've done too much, seen too much, I've gone too far. If this church only knew, if God only knew my resume, then what? Oh, I'm, I'm too messed up. I've made too many mistakes. Church, the truth is this. You ready for the great leveler? The question is not, are you qualified or not? The question is, do you know Jesus is calling you or not? Because come on, you know the quote. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And the moment that you realize Jesus is calling you, I'm sorry to say, but I'm also pleased to announce you forever forfeit your right to any of those excuses. Oh, are you unqualified? Welcome to the party. For real, Moses had a speech impediment. Noah was an alcoholic. Paul was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. So was Rahab. Jonah was fish food. And Peter and John are what? Ordinary and unschooled knuckleheads. But they knew that they were called, and that right there is the difference maker. Can I remind you of verse 4? These unschooled and ordinary men preached the gospel. They had been with Jesus, and they preached the gospel. And 5,000 men, a.k.a. twelve to 15,000 human beings, gave their life to Jesus that day, and heaven got more crowded. I've heard Stephen Furtick say this. It would seem as if God's favorite qualifier is being unqualified. I mean, he only uses broken people to do big stuff. I say broken people like there's other kinds of people. My gosh, God has just ruined your one-day mentality excuse. I'm sorry if I just did that for you. 
but man, he just took your one day when I'm no longer struggling and I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little better and I'm more usable than I'll be used kind of mentality. That excuse, he just snatched that from you and punted it as far as the east is from the west. And he just took from you your, I've got way too many weaknesses excuse. Are you flawed? Join the club. And today, can you just make friends with your weaknesses? Can you shake hands with your weaknesses and be reminded your perfection was never a prereq? And that in your weaknesses, his power is actually made perfect. You ever feel like you're walking through life with a limp? Can I tell you with confidence, boldly, I think God loves that about you. You ever feel like people are just staring at your limitations? I've got news for you. They are. Who cares? They're not staring at your limitations for the reasons you think. Your limitations are actually making you relatable. In psychology, this is called the pratfall effect. The more imperfections you have, the more human you become, the more likable you are. I hope this just is good news and sets somebody in here free. What if the news was this good? What if, what if your brokenness and, 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 and your imperfections are actually the reason God wants to use you? And what if that limp you're walking through life with that you feel like is slowing you down, what if it's that limp that actually makes you followable? And what if Jesus wants to use that limb to make you into a leader? I mean, it's almost as if Jesus is extending that invitation. Hey, you, the flawed one, the imperfect one, come away with me. My gosh, I've got so much in store for me and you. I just got one requirement. Oh, perfection? No, I took care of that. I'm talking about that excuse you're holding on to. Yeah, you need to drop that and leave that here because where we're going, that can't come. You think the thing holding you back is your struggle. It's not. It's your vantage point of your struggle. It's your perspective of it. You see a setback. And you know what? From your perspective, by human power, sure, probably. But I serve a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him. I have a savior who takes anything the devil means for evil and he flips it and he uses it for good. So what you see as a setback from God's vantage point is actually a set up for an underdog story where he's about to get a whole lot of glory. Can I bring you back to Acts chapter four and remind you of Peter and John? Because they're they're preaching and the Sanhedrin, some of the most powerful men in the world are watching them. And here's what they're concluding. These are unschooled and ordinary men. So there must be something about this Jesus guy. Because it ain't these guys. It's honestly one of my most sincere prayers for this church that people far from God would walk in here and experience something undeniable and conclude there must be something about this Jesus because it ain't these guys. Are you unqualified? Are you a little messed up? Good. More glory for God when he uses you regardless. Farewell, excuses. Because God just ruined them, amen? God will ruin your excuses. Number two, God ruined my vice. So in Acts chapter four, what we just read about was Peter, you know Peter, standing in front of the Sanhedrin, mind you. So there's consequences for this. Telling them truth they don't wanna hear. 
It's not making them happy. And yet they are preaching this with boldness and courage. And they're watching God multiply the church and build it by the thousands. But here's my question. Was that always Peter? I mean, can I remind you of what happened just two months before this? Let's go back in time, shall we? Jesus is in his grave, apparently dead. Peter has just denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. How duplicitous, by the way, is every human heart? When just a few evenings before this, Peter is at the Last Supper with Jesus, and he so boldly promises Jesus, his best friend and Messiah, Jesus, I don't care what comes our way. I am with you to the end. Until push comes to shove, and Peter fails, and Peter flees with the rest of the disciples, and now Peter is excusing himself from Jesus' table. And he is embarrassed and exhausted. He's tired of messing up, and he hedges his bets in the name of logic, and he reasonably concludes, I'm no longer worthy, and Jesus no longer needs me. And so he goes back to the one thing that he's familiar with, the one thing he knows, the one thing he can control, fishing. I wonder what fishing is for you. I wonder where you run to when it's not to Jesus. I wonder where you go to escape what you use to medicate. I wonder what your vice is. And then I'll be so bold to ask you, has it worked yet? Has fishing worked for any of us? Because Peter, that night, he goes fishing that night with his boys. He's up all night. He didn't catch a single fish. You ever thought about that? This is a professional fisherman who grew up on that water, probably learned how to fish in that cove. He knows where the fish are. Not a single fish. Is this a coincidence? Is this the wrath of God or... Is this the grace of God? Because the next morning, Jesus shows up to the very place of Peter's vice. Sees Peter and the boys off the shore, and he yells a very thought through, very strategic word. He goes, children, have you caught anything all night? That word children, that's a covenant term. That's a family term. Jesus wants to remind Peter of his identity. Hey, Peter, who you are is not dictated or predicated upon what you do or what you did not do. It's, it's based on what I just did for you. And you cannot forget that, so let me remind you. Children, hey, friends, hey, Peter, have you caught any fish all night? And Peter just, no. Once again, has fishing ever worked for anybody before? Have you caught what you are looking for yet? I've had my fair share of vices over the years, church. And first things first, I need to tell you, God is not mad at you for yours. And maybe that's all you needed today. He's not mad at you for your vice. I think God understands better than any human how hard it is to be a broken person on a broken planet without one. Oh, he's not mad at you for your vice, but he might ruin it for you. God has been known to 
break your fingers to get your hands off of what is killing you, and he'll call that grace. And a lot of you might be experiencing this right now. We all have these seasons. Maybe you've just been going through it. It's been one of those seasons I have just failed and faltered over and over again. What's wrong with me? I feel like I'm taking five steps backwards every single day. So you're exhausted also, and you're kind of embarrassed, and you're tired of messing up. And so much like Peter, you are hedging your bets as well in the name of logic, with which the gospel is not. And you are reasonably concluding, I'm no longer worthy, and Jesus no longer needs or wants me the same way that he used to. And because you feel that, you're now running to all kinds of vices, and maybe for a lot of you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to sin, but it's not working the same way it used to, and it's frustrating you. I'm just trying to help you understand what's happening. I used to drink all the time. My body is now allergic to alcohol. Tobacco makes my heart rate speed up, makes me anxious. Pain pills make me so incredibly nauseous now. I remember a year into following Jesus back in college, that season where I I started realizing my pursuit of happiness in the world of sexual immorality and pornography and hookups was kind of not delivering on the same magic it used to, and it drove me crazy. And I was starting to think, why isn't this working? It was so frustrating to me. And yet at the same time, I kind of sort of started to slowly realize, I think somebody is out there who is protecting and directing me and cares that I remember that there is a calling on my life. What is that thing nobody else knows about? That thing that don't come up in group? I dare you to ask Jesus to ruin it for you. You might hear that and go, that's, I mean, how terrifying is that prayer, right? You hear that and go, I mean, I can't do that because I need that to work. Or else, where else do I go when I need something to work? And what Peter would tell you is you leave fishing And you jump in the water and you swim back to shore and you have breakfast on the beach with the creator of the universe. This right here is the holiday at sea versus the mud pies in a slum. You are far too easily pleased over here to use that C.S. Lewis quote. This is the more your heart is looking for. Jesus is cooking breakfast. It's almost as, I mean, does that sound like a God who's mad at you? Or a God who's inviting you, come away with me. It's not too late for you. Oh, it's going to be wild. It's going to be great. It's going to be full of me. To anybody in here struggling with an addiction, maybe drowning in an addiction right now, I am believing. If you don't have faith, please borrow some of mine today because it's, it's higher than it's ever been for you. I am believing your present vice will soon be your future vantage point. That your testimony soon will be the key that unlocks somebody else's prison. Your story will soon give their life some brand new vision. And so please, let me speak that in faith over you. You will get through this. You stay in the fight. You will see a victory. You keep coming. You keep coming and you keep fighting because a day is coming. You will tell stories about how you used to be an addict out on your boat at sea fishing for something until Jesus showed up on your shore and said, my child, and that view became your new vantage point. 
But are you, are you daring enough to pray, God, ruin this vice? I've heard it said before, the Holy Spirit is much like a, a gentleman and only goes where he's invited. I feel specifically about this point, that's true. This is on invitation. Are you daring enough to invite the Holy Spirit? Come and ruin my vice. Because yeah, it's working. It also happens to be the very thing keeping you from Jesus. This is the more your soul is really looking for. You do not have a God who's trying to rob from you. You have a God who's trying to invite you into the one thing that works. Fishing has proven not to work for anybody in history. But Jesus does. God, ruin my vice. Amen? All right, number three. God ruined my plans. And for me, I mean this quite literally. Because <laughs> I had so many plans, man. I was a biochem major in college. Look what I'm doing now. I was pre-med. I had my dream, my plan. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon for a professional sports team. And then I had that conversation on Flagstaff with Ethan that one evening. And all, the, all those plans weren't ruined in that moment, but I just kind of said yes to the invitation to open my hands around my plans. And it just so happens he completely changed all of mine. I always tell people, yeah, he ruined my plans, but in the best way ever. He doesn't always do that. I'm not saying if you're making plans to be a doctor that he's gonna call you to be a pastor. There's probably somebody in here who was making plans to be a pastor and now you're a doctor. Like God just only does weird plan stuff, you know? And sometimes he doesn't, change him at all. I mean, the Bible also says, like, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But let me just remind you, the Bible also says that human beings plan their ways, but the Lord directs their steps. In the most famous tattooed verse in history, Jeremiah 29, 11, God does not say, for I know the plans you have for you. God says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you. So can I continue just to dare you? What if instead of inviting God into your dreams, nothing wrong with that, but what if instead of inviting God into your dreams, you started asking God, what are your dreams for my life? What do you dream for me? Because sometimes he'll just, he'll come in and he'll change him up on you. I mean, this church is living proof of that. A lot of you have heard this story before. This wasn't our plan originally, okay? We wanted to plant a, an entirely different church in San Diego, which means right now I'd be at my beach house, you guys. Now, how many know by beach house, I mean my studio apartment about 30 miles inland, just a little reality check for myself. Um, he called us to plant, he, he ruined our plans. And now we planted a Red Rocks church in Austin, Texas, and I could not be happier. I'm like, God, I am so glad you downloaded your dreams over our plants. Because I look out at this right now and I go, my goodness, this is so much better, so much more awesome than anything I could have ever dreamed up or imagined. You guys are an answer to prayer. That's why you're here. This is, this is so God's plan, and it's because he changed every single detail. I actually have trusted this whole thing from the very beginning. 
So sometimes he ruins your plans, but let me just, in case anybody in here is like a, you're a type A, you're detail oriented, so you're hyperventilating right now at like this idea that God is like this loose cannon, Enneagram seven, who does everything spontaneous and could care less about details. That's not God, okay? He, he loves details. He's a God of strategy and systems and planning. So please make your plans. I'm just saying, hold them with open hands because he might redirect you or he might just try to introduce some purpose into your plans. And in order for him to do that, you need to have open hands in the first place. So hold your, hold your hands like this around your plans. Or maybe just maybe, and I'll tell you, this is 100% true for you. God just wants you to do what you're doing, but he wants you to be a ruined Christian while you're doing it. Because whatever sphere you're called to, let me, let me say this, we need more ruined Christians in all of our hospitals, you guys, and in our pharmaceutical industry. We need more ruined Christians teaching in our schools. We need more ruined Christians parenting and raising the next generation. We need ruined Christians who understand what Peter and John found out in Acts chapter four, verse 12, that salvation is found in nobody else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved and if that's true nothing else matters and it leads to the conclusion eight verses later in verse 20 as for us therefore we just can't help it anymore but speaking about what we have seen and heard I've experienced too much I've tasted and seen too much of his goodness and grace and I can't go back to the way things are used to be like this is this is truly the point of no return in my life and the more steps you take on this come away invitation the more you go my goodness thank God I left my boat and swam back to that shore because this while it's not easy and while it might not be comfortable or safe, you guys, can I just say safe is overrated? You do not have a God who is safe. You have a God who is good, who will lead you wherever it is he wants to take you into the unknown. What my mom told me and my brother the night before we left on our year-long mission trip to travel to all the ends of the earth and tell people about Jesus, she said, I trust this because the safest place to be is right smack in the middle of God's will, even if that's the other side of the world or right in your home or across the street, wherever it is, you wanna be where Jesus is. Safety's overrated. But be ruined for people, for the Great Commission. That's what Peter and John were trying to build. This is Jesus after he has breakfast with Peter. He says, Peter, do you, do you love me? By the way, that was the only qualifier Jesus is looking for. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep and build my church and take this thing to the ends of the earth because there are people out there, lost souls, who need to know about this amazing grace. Peter, they need to know what you know. So can you be ruined for the Great Commission? Can you be ruined for people? Because I've been studying something recently called the bystander effect. You've probably heard of it. Maybe you've even experienced it or seen it like on a video. The bystander effect says this. In an emergency situation, the more bystanders that are present, the less likely it is for the person who needs help to actually get help. Because that, the, uh, the, the ownership of the outcome sort of gets displaced and dispersed onto the shoulders of everybody there so people naturally begin to conclude somebody else will do it. That's why maybe you've walked into like a massive church before and nobody smiled at you or welcomed you home 
And yet you see thousands of people and that's the bystander effect. Everybody just assumes somebody else will say hi to them. Somebody else will check in with that person. Hey, we haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Somebody else will text them. All I'm asking is, can you take that personally again? Can I just say as a ruined Christian, you start to believe if nobody else does this, it might not happen. Because the Great Commission is this grand and massive mission that is building the church. And it's, it's by definition a large amount of people, which means the bystander effect easily takes over. Which is why we need Christians who refuse to just live saved as spectators. We need Christians who will pray that daring prayer. God, ruin my life and make me called. Even if that means I feel this ownership of if I don't go and do this, nobody else will. I don't care. I am giving my life to this. This and I can't go back because you're too good. You're too good. Even help us here build a small church with a lot of people. I was in Denver two weeks ago and uh, checked into a hotel. The lady behind the front desk, Gwen, she looked at me and she started asking me some questions, kind of interrogating me a little bit. What's your story? What's your angle? What are you all about? And I, I said, I'm a pastor from Austin. We started a church two and a half years ago. I'm just visiting our greater Red Rocks family here. We've got some, I got my team here. We're doing some team building for two days and her whole demeanor changed. She looked at me and said, she said, um, my son lives in Austin. His name's Justin. He's 32. How old are you? 33, he's 32. He owns the, uh, the Roosevelt Room downtown, Austin. She said, uh, she said, will you go get him? Because if you don't, there's a chance nobody will. Will you go get him? It's like, man, you wanna talk about making this massive movement personal. Will you go and get him? So church, I just, will you join me? Not Justin, he's mine, he's mine. I'm going to get Justin. I'm saying, will you join me? We, are you willing to take this personally? Are you willing to pray, God, ruin my life? Ruin my plans if you have to. I think you'll find he'll make them better than you ever thought possible. God, give me new purpose, ruin my vice, I don't care. Ruin my excuses, I'm done with them. Ruin me for people. Can you take this personally and live as a Christian who's not saved, not a spectator? Let's get in the game, because this is real. Eternity is real, people are real. Jesus says, I'm calling you. This isn't for the pastors and missionaries. This is for you, the followers of Jesus. You have a calling on your life. The only question is, do you realize it or do you not? But I promise you, you do. And I'm praying today is your day. God, ruin me for my faith. Amen. Guys, will you stand? Um. I'm gonna pray just a really bold prayer. And uh, if you're daring enough, I, I'm gonna ask you to pray this for yourself. Because life is too short and safety's overrated. 
This whole thing is a mist here today and gone tomorrow. God is real. Jesus has saved you. He knows every hair on your head and he's calling you and inviting you. Come away with me. It's not too late for you. This is for you. Not the person next to you, for you. It's gonna be wild. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be full of him because I am believing by faith there's gonna be different stories of new vantage points of seeing Jesus in a new way this time next year. And there's power in your testimony. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. And there's a whole bunch of stories and testimonies that are about to be written in this room over the next 365 days. So Jesus, would you ruin anybody in here who is willing? And I pray everybody would be. Jesus, ruin us for the gospel. Dare us, push us into the deep end right here and right now. There's no time to waste. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus, ruin our excuses and ruin our vices. Ruin our plans if you have to. Give our plans new purpose. Ruin us for lost souls and for people. Whatever it is you have to do, we want to be awake and alive followers of Jesus who know that we're called, who RSVP yes to the greatest invitation ever to come away with you because you are the more our hearts are looking for. We believe that and we pray that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.